Martina writes, You've already helped me find a lot more balance in my life when it comes to eating. I feel more healthy emotionally with my relationship to food. I can feel my hunger cues and know when I'm full thanks to your books and a lot of practice. But I have one big struggle which I can't handle. It's sugar. I'm eating a lot of sugar, even though I know it's not good for me. I know it has no nutritional value. It makes my skin break out. And I'm gaining weight from it. And I kind of feel like a loser every time I can't resist it. It's not my goal to completely quit sugar. But I want to have a healthy relationship with it and not stuff my face with cookies whenever I see them. If I open a box of cookies, I want to allow myself one cookie, but I end up eating the whole box. I'm also a little scared to restrict sugar because I've heard restriction can lead to binges. I don't really know how to handle this. I haven't found the right mindset. I've tried to avoid sugar many times. Every night I'll tell myself, tomorrow I stop eating sugar for the week and I will allow myself treats on the weekend. But then the very next day comes and I fail because I can't resist my craving for sugar. And afterwards, I feel terrible. Do you have any advice? Martina. Yes, Martina, I absolutely do. And this is such a common question that I'm really glad we get to talk about it so other people can listen. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. First, you've set a really healthy goal. I'm happy to hear that you know trying to eliminate all sugar is probably not a sustainable or realistic endpoint. Your current pattern has been to try and say you won't eat sugar until the weekend. I think that might just be too far out. That means five days of no sugar. And so when you cave and you give in to a sugar craving on a day that you've previously labeled as a day I won't eat sugar, there's that feeling that you broke a rule. And given that you have to wait several more days before you get to eat sugar, that can be part of the impetus to eat the entire bag of cookies. The first key thing that I want to communicate is aim for smaller changes. So if you're having sweets several times a day, maybe you aim for only having them one time a day. You might find that waiting a few hours to eat a sweet treat is much more doable than the idea of waiting five days to have your next treat. Also, remember that it's only added sugars that are correlated with nutritional and health problems. So consider having some fruit if you want something sweet with lunch, but let's say you want to have added sugar with chocolate later in the day. Secondly, support yourself. If you do have some cookies at home and you're finding it's tricky to eat just one or two, you're definitely not alone. You can buy single servings, and you can make sure to have it only as a finale on top of a satisfying meal. It's a bad idea to try and eat a single cookie in the late afternoon when you're getting hungry but trying to hold off till dinner. Also, consider what times of day and context in which you feel most in control. You might not want to plan your sweet treats for the times that you struggle the most. Don't save them for the awful days at the office. Because then you're trying to manage your impulses in the midst of high emotions. Instead, plan to have those sweet treats when you want to include sugar in a regular, relaxed, feeling okay kind of moment. The guilt that you're experiencing makes me sad to hear about. It doesn't make you a loser. And when I saw you use that word, I really resonated with the feeling. If we set intentions and then we fail to meet them, it's just data. 
but it doesn't feel like data. To many of us, a failed attempt at something that we set out to do feels like we ourselves have become a failure. It seems like a good place to bring up a topic that's been on my mind a lot recently, and that's self-compassion. If you asked me two years ago, hey Georgie, how good are you at self-compassion? I'd be like, I'm quite good, thanks. I don't look in the mirror and call myself fat anymore. I try not to use phrases like, I'm such an idiot, and this is probably a dumb question. And I would be partially right that those steps I had taken were moves forward down the road of self-compassion. But I didn't realize what a long way I still had to go. Until recently. Lacking self-compassion doesn't have to involve outright hostility or name-calling. Those are very likely the easiest things to spot, just like your word loser jumped off my email screen and into my eyes. But I'm realizing this year that some of the mental processes I engage in very readily could be replaced by more compassionate responses, or that I could simply add some compassionate content to the things I was already thinking about. If I make those switches, I'm discovering I'm a lot happier and I'm a lot less distressed. Since I think the lessons that I'm in the process of learning right now will help a lot of people in the context of sugar intake, I think this will be a really good context in which to discuss it. So the subtler mind dialogues that I'm talking about go like this. I'll reflect on a conversation where I suddenly had a very hard time getting my words out. Out of nowhere, I just started to feel scared and awkward and I clammed up. I might think about that afterward and go, that was a totally safe situation. Why did I suddenly feel so scared? What am I scared of? Do I have some weird issue with this person reminding me of someone? Or was it something about the setting? People who just relax and talk from the heart like I normally do are much more enjoyable to talk to. I want people to like me. I want my communication to flow better. Okay, next time I'm in a similar situation, I'm going to remember to talk normally. No freaking out. As you can hear, there's no name calling in there. It may even sound encouraging and curious. But there's a lot of the theme, something's wrong with me for my reaction. And then I go directly into problem solving mode. Like next time, this is going to be different. How can I be different is pretty regular mode for my brain to take up. But what's completely absent here is a sense of compassion. Frankly, I didn't know how to do self-compassion. I had gotten really good at being curious about myself and problem solving, but adding that compassionate element makes a really big difference. Logical minds, my fellow scientists, all you engineers in the crowd, you might be like, well, you identified the problem, you looked for solutions, you know, job done. What does the compassionate element that I'm talking about sound like? So if I were to add compassion to my inner dialogue, it sounds like sweetness. It sounds like love. It recognizes your own discomfort and offers some words to comfort you. If you haven't been comforted a lot in your life, or especially when you were small, this can sound super fuzzy, but I'll do my best. Comforting words might be acknowledging the emotion or pain you're in at the moment. So for me, I might have said, wow, that discussion was really hard for me. Or I might have said, I'm hurting a lot right now when I think about how I felt then. Or I might say, wow, it's really difficult to cope with that much fear. Compassion can also sound like support or appreciation. I know how hard you're trying. 
is one compassionate phrase. Or, you're being really brave to keep taking this on without quitting. So if you're fighting this idea in your mind, like, I don't want to talk to myself that way. I mean, I, I absolutely did not want to talk to myself that way. It's likely because it doesn't seem very useful. Like, why notice? Why waste any words on my feelings? It might seem inconvenient or that it's less efficient to turn any attention to your pain when you can just get on to solving the problem. A critic might say, isn't that just self-pity? Isn't that just ruminating? Isn't paying myself a compliment just inflating my ego? No, it's not. The point isn't that we want to focus or dwell on our problems, and in doing so, perpetuate them or expand them in our mind. That sort of thing is rumination, and it usually makes people feel worse. And paying yourself ingenuine compliments? No, that's also missing the mark. The focus is to notice yourself. You a human being who's suffering, and that it matters. Treating ourselves with care and compassion adds the sugar to life's metaphorical lemonade. Do we require self-compassion to live, to exist or survive? Arguably, no. But does some make life sweeter, more enjoyable? You can live without ever eating sugar. And you can live without ever receiving comfort for your hurt feelings. But why would you want to? Maybe we crave self-compassion sweetness as much as we crave chocolate or an ice cream on a hot day. Only we haven't realized it. Not all of self-compassion can be explained through the actual words. I mean, if you try to create a formula for speaking compassionately, there's pieces of it that aren't verbal. Think about the act of someone stroking your hair or putting their arm around you. What does that feel like? Literally, someone stroking your hair feels like light physical touch that moves in a linear repetitive motion. But there's more to it, isn't there? When someone puts their arm around you, it may literally feel like a medium weight touch across your back, neck, and shoulders. But that's not all you feel, is it? there's that quality of being cared about. Receiving the message that someone notices and wants to attend to you in your pain. That's the difference between speaking to yourself in purely problem-identifying and solving mode and being compassionate with yourself through a problem. So what difference does it make? Treating yourself with compassion might not make any observable difference in your behaviors and it might not change how you logistically address your problems. But it makes a world of difference in regard to how you feel about yourself, and in my experience, how much suffering comes from the inevitable bumps and bruises of life. The point is reducing your suffering. When someone treats us 100% logically, they might fix our problems, but leave us feeling like crap. When someone treats us with care and concern, even if they can't fix our problems, they leave us feeling better, like we matter. Be that person to others by all means. But the key message here is be that for yourself too. Anyway, that's where I'm at. I read Martina's email and I saw two things to address. One, the sugar issue. She wanted to eat less of it. And two, that she was feeling like a loser for not having solved this problem already. 
Soothing someone's hurt emotions as well as meeting their nutritional needs is part of my style. It's been there from the beginning. But in my own life, I would have only seen and worked on the sugar thing, the actual food problem. And it's kind of blowing my mind what an impact this has. It's nice, I have to admit, trying on the self-compassion pair of pants. Let's return to Martina and the things she's going to work on regarding her sugar intake, because all of these are equally important. My recommendations are, number one, aim for small changes, as opposed to trying to not eat sugar for five days at a time. That's a big change. Number two, support yourself by creating helpful surroundings. If you have plenty of appealing fresh fruit on hand, and only a couple single-serving packs of cookies or chocolate, the environment is much more conducive to your success than if you have no fruit around and six giant packs of cookies. Number three, be compassionate with yourself. Through this issue, but hopefully through all of the other ones you face too. We're all going to try things and fail, and having a period of higher sugar intake where you gain a few pounds or your skin breaks out is totally okay and human. You're learning. We are all works in progress. I'm so glad you wrote to me. I'm Georgie Fear, ever reachable at georgiefear at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.